Second Timothy chapter number three. I'm going to begin in verse one. If you have your Bible, say amen. Uh, this know also that in the last days, perilous times will come. Evil times will come. Times when um, the immorality will reign supreme. That's what that means. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Today from our text, I want to talk to you about this end-time characteristic of society that the Bible says without natural affection, without natural affection. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Would you minister by your grace and by your power to every single heart? Would you make your word come alive so that we can grow closer to Jesus? We pray in his name. And everybody said, you may be seated. We have been talking about following Jesus in today's world. And we have um, said over and over again that it is becoming more and more difficult to follow Jesus in today's world. And the reason for that is because there is a stark and ever-growing difference between biblical and scriptural values and worldly values, right? What is right is now being called wrong, and what is wrong is now being called right. And if you hold to or ascribe to biblical values, you have probably encountered that people think that you are unenlightened or you are, uh, you know, hateful or unkind and all of those kinds of things. And so to stand up for biblical values is challenging in these times. And so far we've drilled down on all of the first eight characteristics given in our list of what the end time culture will look like. And uh, by the way, have you seen the latest and greatest? I think I brought it out last week. A lady on the way out of church last week said to me, Pastor, in school, one of the kids in um, my son's class was bitten by one of the other kids, and the administration would not do anything about it because the child identified it as an animal. And and so that is the day and age in which we are living. And I thought to myself, yeah, go ahead and bite my child. And and not that I'd do anything to the other child, because children are children, they need to be taught. But the administration needs to be held accountable for that kind of stuff. And so I said, I just walk in there and I'd identify as a lion that particular day and bite the principal. And so we are living in crazy times, aren't we? And we've talked about the first eight characteristics of end time culture, but I want to talk to you about this one that, that seems to be saying something, but it's not without natural affection. And then the next thing says, and truce breakers. And on the surface, it seems to be talking about one of the current day cultural norms, which is same sex attraction. And we know that same sex attraction is not a biblical value. Um, we know that the scripture teaches that that's not something that we should practice. And, and by the way, we, we all feel certain types of things that aren't biblical. Amen? Can you say amen? Just because we feel certain things doesn't mean that God wants us to act out on certain things that we feel. And so in this particular text, when it says without natural affection, it seems to be talking about same-sex attraction. And although the Bible does talk about that, for instance, in Romans chapter number one, if you want to read what it has to say about that, that is not what this phrase in this text is actually talking about. In this phrase, 
Hades in this text, it actually comes from the Greek word storgos. And storgos means a devotion to one's family. And so when it says without natural affection, it is actually talking about the lack of devotion that people will have to family as we come to the end of times. And this is not something that should surprise us because ever since the beginning of time, we have seen the enemy of our soul attack the family. The family was God's idea. It was instituted by God in order to be the backbone of society. But yet, this has been something that has been attacked on a relentless basis in our society, and I would contend is probably the greatest contributing factor for why we are at the place that we are at right now, because the family is the place where we are supposed to be trained, where we are supposed to learn right and wrong, where we are supposed to see the things that matter and obtain the values that matter and be trained in the ways of the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 2, even people who don't know anything about the Bible are familiar with where God instituted the family. Genesis chapter 2 verse number 21 says this, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her on to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Marriage and family which by the way, biblically, is one man and one woman, a father and a mother and their children, that was God's idea. This institution was ordained by God to equip us and empower us to live a victorious, overcoming life. It's from the family that we are supposed to learn, or children are supposed to learn, what is God the Father like? It's where we're supposed to learn what our relationship with the church, which is the bride of Christ comes from. It's where children are supposed to be trained in the ways of the Lord and pointed in their God-given direction, uh, d- destiny. As such, the family is under severe attack. The enemy is using what God meant to bless us in order to, to mess with us. And instead of, for instance, children learning what God the Father is like by viewing a godly father in their life, And loving God because of what they have seen, many people hate God because of what they've seen in their fathers, and some people don't even want to believe there is a God because their father was never even present in their lives. Instead of learning what love looks like between a man and a woman in the blessings of marriage that should cause children to want to get married and stay married, they have given up on marriage in this generation, choosing rather to live together because of the poor example they've seen from prior generations that have gone on. Instead of learning what a godly man looks like and a godly woman looks like, they are searching for all different kinds of identity because they never saw that as a role model in their life. And so what has happened in our society is what God meant to bless us, the enemy is using to mess with us. And the evidence for the family being a top target is all around, everywhere that you look. Marriage has been redefined. It's no longer what Genesis says, a man and a woman who want to 
express their love to one another and stay in covenant relationship for the rest of their lives. It is now just two people, regardless of their sex, who want to spend the rest of their lives together. The need for children to have both a mother and a father has been minimized, and we have accepted or been cultured to accept that single parenting and same-sex parenting is equally positive for children because all kids need is love and affection. The value of a man and a woman caring enough for one another to be committed to one another in the covenant of marriage has been replaced by a quasi-commitment of simply living together. Furthermore, divorce has become totally acceptable and even celebrated. One social historian recently observed the dissolution of marriage offered the chance to make oneself over from the inside out, to refurbish and express the inner self, and to acquire certain valuable psychological assets and competencies, such as initiative, assertiveness, and a stronger and better self-image. Translation, if I'm not happy in my marriage, I bail. Because what matters most is my own personal happiness and self-evolution. That is what society now teaches. And so when my marriage is in trouble, instead of me submitting myself to what the Bible says, which is husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church, which is wives honor your husbands as unto the Lord, which is, you know, go for some counseling, help get it worked out, do everything you can. People bail because the hallmark of society today is personal happiness. And so because of all of these things, the family is under attack and we are living in a day and age in which there is without natural affection. There's a straying away from the family unit. We have lost our sense of what marriage and family is. It is a covenant and a covenant is much stronger, biblically speaking, than a mere commitment. In Bible times, there were seven characteristics that covenants had. The first one was a statement of agreed upon terms. The second one was an oath by each party or a vow expressing the promise to uphold the covenant. The third was an exchange of names. The fourth was a transfer of authority. The fifth was an assumption of the other people's enemies. The sixth was a promise to provide. And the seventh, an understanding that breaking the covenant was punishable by death. Now, those seven things are what we have in our covenant relationship with the Lord. Can you say amen? The word of God is the statement of agreed upon terms. When you read the word of God, you find out that everything that God will do for us if we in turn follow what God has asked us to do, the agreed upon terms. The oath is God telling us over and over again that he will uphold the covenant. One such scripture is Psalm 89, verse 34. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my mouth. God is a covenant-keeping God. The exchange of names, we see it all the time. When you got saved, you were called a Christian. What does that mean? You are a Christ like one. You bear the name of Jesus. That is why your testimony is so important. What is a testimony? It is the way in which you conduct your life because you no longer represent you. You represent Jesus Christ. You bear his name. His name. You ever hear contractors say, well, I don't do it that way because my name is on it. Or people who feel like they want him, my name is on that thing. Can I tell you something? 
God's name is on us. How dare we do this or how dare we do that and not realize we represent Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, if my people who are called by my name, the exchange of names, the transfer of authority, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. When you give your life to Jesus, there is a subsequent act of grace called being filled with the Holy Spirit where you receive the power of God to be his witnesses. That is a transfer of authority that is given to you. The same authority that was on the life of Jesus is the authority that he has given to you and I. There is an assumption of the other person's enemies. Second Chronicles 20 says this, Thus says the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You shall not need to fight in this battle, but set yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of God. What is God saying? God is saying, if anything messes with you, I get involved in the fight. That's why we don't have to fear what we're going to, because we don't fight alone. God fights with us, and God fights for us. Why? We're in covenant relationship with God. Our enemies are his enemies. How about a promise to provide? Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Punishable by death if it's broken. Let's be real for a minute. Anybody ever broken their covenant with God? Let me raise my hand just to, just to encourage you to raise yours, right? But what has God done? He knew that we would break that covenant. And so before you and I even entered into the covenant, you know what he did? Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price so that that covenant can stay in effect even when you and I fell. And then he ratified that covenant by shedding his own blood. Listen to what Hebrews says. It says, by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. We have a covenant with the Father. Our covenant with the Father is typified in the marriage covenant. The marriage covenant is a type of our covenant with our heavenly Father. The oath is I take you to be my wife or my husband. The terms are to have and to hold for richer or for poorer in sickness and in health to love and to cherish. The transfer of authority is my body is no longer my body and your body is no longer your body, but we are now one. The assumption of the other's enemies is I stand by you in sickness and in poverty, in trial or whatever comes your way. From this point forward, we fight together. The promise to provide is what's mine is now yours and what's yours is now mine. We don't have separate anymore. We have everything together and till death do us part. This is not just something we're entering into and if we get a little unhappy, we move on. No, we are in this thing forever on this earth and now I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Same last name. Why? Because we are in covenant with one another and then if you do it God's way and you wait until you're on your honeymoon, it is ratified by the sealing of blood. It is a covenant. It's a covenant. And we have lost our understanding of what marriage and family is. If you look at the stats, 
you'll see how marriage is so important to the health of children and society. If you compare the stats of children who are from families where there is a father and a mother to children in just one-parent homes or children um, from divorced homes, when a child is from an intact home, a mom and a dad married, they excel better in school. They're less likely to go to prison, less likely to get pregnant as a teen. They stay married when they get married. All of the major stats, they across the board perform better. Now let me say this. I realize that sometimes people get into situations and sometimes stuff happens and God could make up the difference. But don't let that be an excuse to be loose in your marriage, right? Sometimes as Christians, we try to, we try to devolve to the lowest standard. And so as Christians, we hear, well, if we sin, there's grace. And so what happens is we're like, oh, you know, God forgives me. God forgives me. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And that's like our bumper sticker slogan. What a bad slogan. Like, it's like we're celebrating the fact that, you know, we're, we're just less than. No, strive to be the best that you can be. And, and God makes up the difference from there. And so when you hear me say, well, there's, there's exceptions. I realize sometimes things happen. Somebody's unfaithful. Somebody is abused. All of those kind of things. I run the, I realize sometimes things happen, but don't let that be an excuse to be loose in your marriage commitment. Satan knows what he's doing by attacking the family. So what happens is Satan has used what God meant to bless us in order to mess with us. And I just mentioned some of the big things, but I want to talk to you today about some of the little ways that Satan messes with our commitment to our families. I call these things death by distraction. You know, there's a French way of torture, by the way. And what they do is, is they, they tie horses to each one of your limbs. A rope to the horse, rope to your limbs. And then the horses pull in all different directions and you get torn apart. It's called death by distraction. I would call it death by extraction, but they call it death by distraction. And what has happened in our society is the family unit is being destroyed because of distraction. We have too many things available to us, too many things vying for our time, too many things controlling our thought process and the things that we give ourselves to. Even things like, have you ever gone to Maggie McFly's right down the road? You see that menu? It's like 30 pages. I'm like, seriously? Like, how do I find something to eat here? Like, can I just have 10 things? So here's a great thing. This is what I do a lot. Just tell me the specials. There's like three. I'm going to pick one of those. Why? I don't have time to be going through the whole menu and sitting here. Do I want this and do I want that? We have so many things, right? Nowadays, you got to figure out how you're going to watch TV. Am I going to watch Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu or HBO or HBO Max or YouTube TV or this, that, the other thing? Can I just have TV? All of these things that are vying for our attention. And what they are doing is they are stealing our family connection. And so Jesus told this little parable. It's a famous one. It's called the parable of the sower. And in this parable, I want to extract from it four kinds of distracted hearts, four types of distractions that are stealing our connection, our devotion to our marriage and our families. Let's look at the parable. Matthew chapter 13, verse number three. It says, then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, and by the way, 
People always ask, why do you talk to them in parables? Because in order to fully understand the word of God, you need to be committed to Christ. Remember what happened is he pulled the disciples aside later on and he explained to them what he means, right? A lot of people, even in the church, are like, I don't understand that. Get more committed to Christ. When you are committed to Christ, the Holy Spirit will give you understanding and revelation. The scripture says, to them who are perishing, the gospel is foolishness. Right? They can't comprehend it. They don't know because the Holy Spirit on the inside of them is not giving them revelation of it. So he spoke to them in parables and he said, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some, as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they didn't have much earth and they immediately sprung up because they had no depth of earth. Um, but they immediately sprung up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on the good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The first kind of distraction, notice the seed was first sown on the wayside. And the birds came and snatched them. I like this to simple distractions. What are some of the simple distractions that are stealing our family connection? What are some of the birds? How about that one right there? Social media, right? The average person spends two hours and 27 minutes a day on social media. Three hours and 15 minutes on their cell phone every day. Two hours and 27 minutes on social media, three hours and 15 minutes on their cell phone. Pastor, I don't have time to pray or read my Bible. I'm just too busy to come to church, Pastor. I just freed up two hours and 27 minutes a day in your life for you to be a rock star Christian. Give those two hours and 27 minutes to Jesus and watch what happens in your life. But we don't have time we are distracted and on the rare occasion we are sitting together either watching tv or having a family meal we are not talking to the people we love we are responding to the people we don't even know like 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 just scrolling the whole time a simple distraction like that is causing our families to be snatched from us Our teenager, our wife, our husband wants to talk or share something with us. And instead, we are distracted by the little device in the palm of our hands. And our family time and connection gets snatched before it's hatched. Your wife wants to have a conversation with you that could lead to some marital bonding. But instead, it gets snatched by the text and the emails you have to respond to at 9 p.m. at night. The seed was stolen by the birds before it even had a chance to grow. The simple distraction snatches our family time before it's even hatched. I call this golden doodle syndrome. I have a golden doodle. They are some of the most distracted dogs that you'll ever be around. So, you know, you wake up. The first thing you got to do is let the dog out, right? Because you don't want the dog to pee all over the house. And before you go to bed, you got to let the dog out again. And so I don't know about you, but I need a minute. I'm happy when I get up in the morning, but I'm still a little groggy, you know? And I, and I need a minute. And so off we go, you know, to let the dog out. And you're thinking, oh, he's going to be out for like two minutes, especially when it's cold outside, right? Or when it's raining, you want the dog go do his business and come out. And so what does the golden doodle do? Right in the middle of a pee. See a squirrel? Squirrel! There it goes. And it's out there for like 20 minutes. In the first service, I acted it out, but, you know, the whole pee thing. Anyway, somebody told me, don't do that, Pastor. So I, I changed my message, all right? I, I learn. I'm evolving. 
and that's 20 minutes. The dog is out there and you're like, come on, come on, come on. Especially if it's raining now. Dogs come in. Now you got to, you know, towel off the whole dog so it doesn't get you, you know, all your stuff or jumps up on the couch and now your couch is wet and all. Wet dog hair. That's nasty. I mean, I'm, I don't know how to do it. We have golden doodle syndrome. We're supposed to be doing this, but we get easily distracted by that. Solution, and I'm talking to myself on this one, put it down. Put it down. You know, God convicted me of this so much. The other day, I'm sitting there, 40 minutes I woke up. 40 minutes watching TikTok. I'm watching this guy tickle this guy's ear and then turn around like he didn't do it. You know, you see the other person and go, you know, and they know it's that person right there. I'm watching this guy run up to somebody, put a garbage can over his head and then take off. 40 minutes I'm watching this stuff. And I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, he says, put it down. And you know, it's wild because, I mean, I know maybe I'm exaggerating it a little bit, but as I'm hearing the Holy Spirit start saying put it down about 20 minutes in. But I'm like, oh, man, I just, just, like, I'm like zoned in on this. And did you know that China has a different algorithm for the U.S. TikTok than it does for Chinese TikTok? Did you know that? In China, if you're on TikTok, the kids see other kids working hard, getting A's, doing real well in school. In the U.S., we see them tickling each other's ears. (laughs) They're conditioning the mind. And I'm hearing the Holy Spirit 20 minutes into this. He's like, put it down, put it down, put it down. I'm like, and it's like this. I can feel the intensity of it. Put it down. Don't, don't take it to the table. Leave it in the other room. It's okay. And people will put all sorts of pressure on you too. Like, you know what? Somebody sends you a text and you don't answer in like, you know, five minutes or less. Like, are you there? Are you there? Are you? Yes, I'm here. I'm just not answering you right now. This simple distraction, it is stealing our connection with our family. The second type of distraction is what I call superficial distractions. The second type of seed is sown on the stony ground, springs up quickly, has no root, scorched by the sun. These are the superficial distractions that interfere in our family. You can't find the keys. Your spouse leaves the toilet seat up all the time. They squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube. Who does that? Come on, really? Seriously? Bottom up, of course, everybody knows that, right? Always leave the lights on, right? They never put their shoes away. They always leave their clothes lying around. You got your to-do list, and it's always getting in the way of spending your family time. Have to clean the house, have to do the laundry, have to cut the grass, have to go for an appointment, have to get the kids there and everywhere. And these are the superficial things standing in the way of our family connection. Uh, connection. They begin to cause marital and family drift, and instead of being bonded together, you're, you're drifting apart. Never having time to create a rooted bond with one another. And notice that it, it springs up right away. Jesus said they received the word of God with gladness. And this is the type of situation where we, we all realize, oh, we, we gotta stop doing that. You know, yeah, we, we gotta do, we gotta do date night again. Let's get, let's get back to date night, hon. We're going to get back to date night, you know. Let's, let's, let's just leave the cell phones in the other room and we're going to have dinner together. And you start doing it, but because you have no commitment to it, because it's not a priority, life happens and boom, you're right back to it again. I call this Martha, Martha syndrome. You remember the story of Martha in the Bible, right? 
Jesus stops over the house. He's got 12 hungry guys with him. Unexpected, didn't text, didn't call before he came over. Just, just stopped over, right? Knocked at the door. In they come, and he sits out at the living room, and Mary's there, Martha's doing everything. By the way, y'all remember when, when company would just stop by unexpectedly back in the day? It's a beautiful thing, wasn't it? Everybody is sitting around the living room. You know, you're watching TV, mom and dad. Mom and dad always got to choose, by the way, back then, what we're watching on TV, right? Nowadays, it takes you 30 minutes to decide what you're watching because everybody has got to put their input in, and then you got to check all the different choices, Hulu and Amazon Prime and Netflix and everything like that. And before you know it, you don't even want to watch a movie anymore because it took you 30 minutes to find one, right? So I remember back in the day, he was just watching the TV. In my house, my dad would always go out, it would be Friday night, and he was going to get a bag full of candy bars, and to come back and, you know, you got the, the paydays and the Snickers bars and the, the whatchamacallits and all that kind of stuff. And, and dad would just drop them out on the table. We'd all have a couple candy bars and I always wanted to have like two or three. But mom and dad said, no, only one. And I actually obeyed. Isn't that novel? So you're all watching and all of a sudden the doorbell rings. You remember that? And everybody's face would kind of lit up. We got company. Mom and dad would go to the door and mom and dad would be, and the kids would kind of hang out in the background waiting to see who's here and they'd open up the door and it'd be the neighbor. Hey, I was just in the neighborhood and I decided to stop by and see how everybody is doing. Oh, come on in. And mom would put the coffee on. You remember that? And mom would always have, I don't know if your mom was like this. She'd always have the coffee cake, the Entenmann's coffee cake in the freezer just in case companies stopped by. And she told everybody in the house, don't touch this coffee cake. It's for company. And she'd put the coffee cake out and the, the coffee and it'd be 11 o'clock and everybody get lost in it and enjoying it. Oh, I guess we ought to be get going. The kids have school tomorrow. And it was, yeah, stop in any time. Nowadays, you're watching TV. Somebody rings the door at 7 o'clock. It's like, who is that? Who's bothering me? Quick, shut the lights. Pretend like you're not home. And you got mom, you know, crawling on our hands and knees to get there. You're looking on your ring phone to see who in the world is that. Ready to call 911 if somebody comes in. Jesus stops by Mary and Martha's house unexpectedly. He walks into the living room. He sits down on the couch. Mary sits with him with the other disciples. He starts telling Mary about his day. You're never going to believe this. Guess who came and asked me to do a miracle today? Who, Jesus? It was Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. No, you got to be kidding. He's like top dog Jew. I mean, there's no way he came to you, Jesus. You're preaching a false. Yeah, he had this. His daughter was grievously sick. She was going to die. And he came and he ran to me and he bowed down before me. And I thought, now you need me, don't you? Aren't you glad God doesn't think like that? So I agreed to go, and we had a hurry, but there was this huge crowd all around me, and I really wanted to run with Jairus, but I couldn't because the crowd was inhibiting me. And then right in the middle of our progression to Jairus's house, suddenly I feel like a gush of power go out of me. And I turned around, and I said, who touched me? I really knew who it was, but I wanted the crowd to notice. And there was this little woman. She had an issue of blood for 12 years. 
And she came behind in the press and she touched the hem of my garment and she was made whole. And then she wanted to tell me the whole truth. And he looked at Mary, because you know how you women are. Got to give us all the details, don't you? Might as well get back on the phone. <laughs> I'm just playing, I'm just playing. And meanwhile, Jesus is having this connection time with everybody. But there's Martha. And Martha is walking by. And you know, she, you know when people don't want to say something, but they're saying it anyway. She's letting everybody know. By the way, I hate people like that. I don't really hate them, but you know what I mean. I'd rather somebody just tell me. Don't try to give me a message. Just, just let me know. Rip, let it rip. We're adults here. We're big boys and big girls, right? But Martha, she's just, just she's slamming the cabinets and she's, she's, you know, throwing it. And the, she's got good reason. I mean, Jesus stopped over. It was unexpected. The house is a mess, right? Just clothes all over the place. She didn't prepare a meal. Now she's got 13 people that she's got to cook for. And finally she has it up to here because Mary is that relative that never gets up to help. Always coming over the house for every holiday. They think they've done something good because they brought a coffee cake. Get up and help. Mary is sitting there and Martha looks at Jesus. Tell her to get off our blessed assurance and help us out. What does Jesus say? Check it out. Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, this is a favorite verse for sloppy people. Because they're like, you see, I'm not cleaning the house. Why do I have to clean the house? There's that devolving to the lowest standard possible, right? It's not the point. The point is we cannot let the superficial distractions stand in the way of the greater priorities. And these superficial distractions are taking up our family connection. What Jesus is saying is prioritize what matters most. Husbands and wives, your marriage matters most. Your kids don't matter more than your marriage. That's the only time I ever got men to clap because men are like, yeah, you tell them, Pastor. You tell them because she always with them kids, you know, and she just leave me here all by my, go get them. Pastor, say that again. <laughs> the reason why your marriage matters most is because that is the thing that your kids will learn from the most. They could have everything else, but if they see a dysfunctional relationship in their mother and their father, they will lose so much. Parents, your kids matter most. These are the important things. Christians, your relationship with Jesus and showing up for church matters most. Well, you know, the reason why I haven't been in church, Pastor, for the last three months is because it's football season, and the kids, they have football every single week. Well, why don't you come on Wednesday? Well, they have practice on Wednesday night, and then little Johnny and little Sally get to be 30. They don't want to go to church anymore. And, Pastor, can you pray? Because I don't understand. I raised them in the church. No, you didn't. 
You raised them to believe that there are other things that matter more than church. And so they just became the adults that you raised them to be. We need to understand that there are priorities that matter in life. The solution, establish godly priorities and stick to them. Family dinner is a priority. It's a priority. When I was growing up, Sunday we went to grandma's. We went to church and then we went to grandma's. And grandma always made the sauce on Sunday. Not gravy. Gravy is what you put on meat. Sauce. She, she, she would make this meatballs and brajol and I mean, I, I forget. It was phenomenal. And after church, if we said, oh, we don't want to go to grandma's, well, you're going anyway. We're going to grandma's today. Nowadays, kids have too many, too many decisions that are left in a, your kids are not the leaders of your home. You going to church? You going to grandma's? We're not doing that. Yeah, but they're not going to like me. You're not called for your kids to like you. You're called to be their parent. And I promise you, if you parent them, they will like you when they get older and resent you for being their friend all along if that's the way you raised them. We would go to grandma's house and we would eat and eat and eat around the table and around the table. I mean, we weren't allowed to watch TV at grandma's house. It's a priority. Church is a priority. Praying with you, your kids is a priority. Date night for you and your spouse, it's a priority. You know what's amazing is our kids are now grown, so one of them's out of the house and the other one is, you know, doing their thing because they're grown and dating and all that kind of stuff. And so Lisa and I are by ourselves a lot. And you know what all of a sudden started happening to me? I'm like, this is why we chose to get married. I'm falling in love with my, I always loved my wife anyway, not like I ever fell out of love, but I'm, I'm finding out the reasons why we got married to begin with. Because now it's not, what do they want, and what do they want, and what do they want, and what do they want? Now it's like, what do we want? And we're connecting again on that, on that level. And all of a sudden we're rediscovering all the things that we love about one another. And, 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 and I love most things about her and she loves everything about me. And it's just, it's just this amazing connection that is being formed. Don't let the superficial distractions get in the way. But then you have the sneaky distractions. I love you, honey. I know she's watching on TV. The sneaky distractions. The third type of seed fell among the thorns and the harvest was choked by the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches. What are the sneaky distractions there? The things that we worry about, work and kids and clothes and bills and relationships and health and extended family, the what ifs and the how wills. What if I never met somebody and never meet somebody or get married? What if I developed the same disease that my parents has and died? What if I never achieved my dreams? What if after all my dieting they find out that lettuce is fattening and chocolate is not? How will I ever pay for college? Just live in our day and age and it's free. How will I ever get, get things done on time? How will I ever recover from this? The what if and the, hit and the how wills. So distracting. Worry is a waste of energy. There's a book called The Stress-Free Brain. And in it, it chronicles that 85% of the things that we worry about never come to pass. What a waste of time. What a waste of 
energy. It also causes massive physical and functional consequences. Blood pressure and heart disease and stroke and asthma and obesity and depression and gastrointestinal problems and Alzheimer's and accelerated aging and even premature death. Worry kills. But it also prevents us from connecting with our families because it creates people who are present but not there. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Listen, I remember one time my wife told me that. She said, she said, you're here, but you're not here. She said, can you just kind of focus in for just a minute? We, we want your time. We want your attention. And by the way, you have two ways to respond to that kind of stuff. Right? You have the way that will produce no fruit. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Well, you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube all the time. Or, you know, you're right. If it's right, it's right. If it's right, it's right. You know you're right. I'm sorry. Let me put that down. Let me, let me focus in. Don't, don't let those kind of distractions, the sneaky distractions creep up. And then there's the seedfulness of riches. Well, my family would be happy if they just have this and if they have this and if they have this and if they have this and they have this and they have this and this and the more of this and this and this and this. And so life becomes about the acquisition of stuff as if rich people don't have family problems. Look at Hollywood. And we all know that God wants to bless us, but there's two ways to getting blessed. The pursuit of God and the pursuit of things, right? And the blessing of the Lord, the Bible says, makes one rich and adds no sorrow. But then there's, there's living to acquire stuff which will ruin your family. The deceitfulness of riches. Because when you get things at the expense of the important things in life, you wind up like Solomon. Remember him, the richest man that ever lived. At the end of his life, he's got everything. He's got hanging gardens and big mansions. But straight away from God, he had 700 wives and concubines. That's demented. It's not demented for the reason you think. That man had no choice but to go crazy. 700! That was a joke right there. You all missed that one. And he looked at the end of his life. He had everything. And he said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is Meaningless. And people who fall prey to sneaky distractions, you know what I call this? Shepherdless syndrome. What a shepherdless syndrome. Remember what David said? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The title David chose to use is to remind us of who our shepherd was is distinct. He could have said, my healer is my shepherd. My provider is my shepherd. My advocate is my shepherd. My judge is my shepherd. My comforter is my shepherd. My friend is my shepherd. But instead he used the distinct phrase, the Lord, the creator, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, the one who put the stars in the sky and the stars. And put them in their spots in space. The one who planted the sun and the moon in their sky. Told the oceans don't go any further. If you look up on a star studded night. You'll find out that there's 250 billion times. 250 billion stars in the sky. Each one of them bigger than our sun. Which is the smallest. And God put them all there. David is reminding us. That our shepherd is the one who took two fistfuls of dirt. And created the most sophisticatedly, sophisticatedly complex creation in all the world. You and I. He's trying to tell us God is your shepherd. He's the one that's looking out for you. He's the one that's looking over you. He's the one that is providing for you. You don't need to worry. Your shepherd is God. Shepherdless syndrome. 
but God is the one. He's looking out for our families, and he's, he's looking out for us. And when we, we realize that, we remember the words of Jesus. Why do you worry? He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yea, not even Solomon, in all his glory, was arrayed like one of these. If God clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is not, how much more shall he clothe you of you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall I eat, what shall I drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What is God saying? Don't be shepherdless. The fourth and final thing that I want to share with you that distracts us from family connection, makes us without natural affection, is we become, is these things called sinister distractions. The parable of the sower is followed up by another parable. It's called, called the parable of the wheat and the tares. And, and what happens is a, a farmer goes out, sows into good soil, does everything right, and overnight while he's sleeping, the wheat spring up, but there's also tares with it. And there was never any sign of the tares before. And the tares are growing amongst the wheat. And, and the farmer wakes up because he's, he's tilled the ground. He's sowed the rights. He's done everything right. And, and he asks the question, who has done this? And the response comes back, an enemy has done this. I want to talk to all the people who are doing everything right. Your family's a priority. Your marriage is a priority. Church is a priority. Teaching your children about God is a priority. But suddenly out of nowhere comes something that you least expected. A sickness. Uh, a situation with your child. Uh, something that you couldn't control. You get fired from work. And you're like, where did that come from? And the answer that comes back is an enemy did this. And all of a sudden, those kind of sinister distractions can all of a sudden cause us to process pain in different ways that causes drift in your relationship because one person needs to talk about it and the other person needs to not talk about it. And suddenly, the connection that was there is suddenly lost because of a sinister distraction that has come into your mind. The enemy has attacked. Pastor, what do I do if my family is breaking down for something that had nothing to do with me. To you I say, stand. When you've done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins skirt about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Taking up the shield of faith wherewith you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, hold your place. I'm telling you, don't retreat on your family. Don't retreat on your marriage. Don't throw your hands up in the air. Realize that the pressure is on because something came in from the outside. Give your family, give your spouse grace and stand and say to the enemy, we are not going to let you have our family. You can't have it. Stand. The enemy's after family devotion to one another because it is the institution that God gave us to bless us and he's using it to mess with us. Jesus ends the parable and he says, but some fell on the good soil. And he said, and it produced 160 and 30 fold. And when he said this, everybody was, they were shocked. 
The reason why they were shocked is because every farmer knew in Bible times the greatest kind of harvest you could ever get is a tenfold harvest. And that was like bumper crop. And Jesus is saying, I want to tell you how in your life, and what he's saying to us, I want to tell you how in your family, you can get not just a tenfold harvest, but you can get a hundredfold harvest, a sixtyfold harvest, a thirtyfold harvest. I want to tell you how you can take your marriage from zero to a hundred. I want to tell you how you can change the life of your children who are going this way and have it going that way. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you need to get the seed into the soil of your heart. Because the parable is not about the seed. The seed was the word of God. It works. It's perfect. It produces all the time. It's about the soil of one's heart. I used to get frustrated as a young pastor. I, I feel like sometimes like I'm like the circus monkey. You know, just sitting up here, you know, doing tricks. Saying, this is what the word says. This is what the word says. And I watch over the years how many, this very small percentage of people get it. And I would say to God, but God, I'm preaching my guts out. I'm sweating through two shirts every service. I take a shower sometimes in between services because I'm sweating so much. God, I'm giving it everything I got. And, and, and just a small percentage, God, what's wrong? And here's what God told me. He said, ain't nothing wrong with the seed. Ain't nothing wrong with the seed. It's all about the soil. And here's what God is saying, that the greatest thing that you could do for your family is to feed on the seed and follow the Word of God. Feed and follow. Feed and follow. Get the Word in you and then put it into practice in your life. For time's sake, I want to just read this one scripture to you. Deuteronomy 11. Here's what it says. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall teach them to your children speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children look at this may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord God swore to your fathers to give them like the days of heaven above the earth that's what he's saying. Watch this, watch this. Every parent in here, how many of you want your children's lives to be blessed? Can I see your hand? Of course. We try everything we can, right, to bless them. Well, I want to make sure they have the, the best looking sneakers and the most expensive clothes. And I want to make sure that I take them on vacations and make sure they have a big house and all that. I want to make sure my kids have everything. They got to have everything. They got to have everything. Which, fine. But the greatest thing that you can do for your kids is to make sure your house is functioning based on the word of God. Because that's what produces days of heaven on earth for your children. That's what gives the best life that your children can ever have. Feed and follow. Let's change the soil of our heart by feeding it the word of God. And watch what it does to our devotion to our family so that we are with natural affection and not truce breakers, which is a covenant breaker. So that our covenant is not broken with our family. Let's realize how strong.
that bond needs to be and let's feed it so that we can change the trajectory of not just our homes, but of our neighborhoods and our society and our church and ultimately the world. That's how it's affected. Would you stand to your feet? get to choose your family. You're just born into it. But when it comes to spiritual things, you do get to choose your family. And you do have to be born into it. But this birth is is by choice. It's called the new birth. It's called being born again. What does it mean? It means that my old life, my ways of sin die And I get a new start in life, doing it God's way with Jesus as my Savior. I'm rescued from the penalty of sin, which is separation from God, and a sentence to hell, which was never created for us. And I come over into the kingdom of darkness and begin to live for God. I've got the promise of eternal life in a a place called heaven prepared for us with the help of the Holy Spirit living on this earth. I like what Daryl Strawberry said last week. He said, all you need to do to the gospel is say, yes, you enjoy salvation. Are you right with God? If you were to die at this moment or this second, where would you spend eternity? Would you spend it apart from God or would you spend it with God? Well, I think I'm pretty good, so I think I'm getting in. Thinking so is not what does it. It's relationship with Jesus. And as soon as you give your life to Jesus, God credits Jesus' right standing to you so you can have assurance of where you stand with him. With no one looking around, if you're here today and you don't know where you stand with Christ, but today you want to surrender your life to him. You want to be made right with him, right where you are. No one looking around. Just hold your hand up. I want to pray for you. I promise I won't embarrass you. Hold it up nice and high. Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus. Hold it up nice and high so I can see it. I'm searching. The eyes of the Lord. God bless you. I see your hand there. Is there anyone else? Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be made right with him. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Over here, that's awesome. Another one in the back, that's awesome. Anyone else? Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus. We won't embarrass you, I promise you. Greatest decision you can ever make. You can put your hands down. For the benefit of those that just responded to the invitation of heaven, let's go ahead and say a prayer together. I want everybody to pray, and especially those people that raised their hand. Say this out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me as I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I receive him today as my personal Lord and Savior and I will never be the same in Jesus name and everybody said Amen if you prayed that prayer yeah go ahead and give God some praise